the inaugural episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive, or Sado for short. I'm your co-host, Eggs Benedict. And I'm your other co-host, um, Alison Barton-Simmons. Going by your real name there, Al. I am, yeah, yeah. It's not I'm choosing so an- anonymity. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I wish I'd done the same, mate. Yes, Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive. It's not really the catchiest name you've ever heard, but we like the fact that it sort of acronymizes to Sado, I think, don't we, which it says a lot We about. do. That was perfect. It was. A, I think that was a, a, a decent choice considering what we're about to do. Yeah, and I don't think that we claim to be aficionados on situation comedies of the 70s no. and 80s, but we're definitely enthusiasts, which makes us saddos in some way. Yes, yes. So let's just um, do a little bit of an introduction to how we see the podcast working, really. Um, this podcast is going to do a huge, big, balls-deep, deep dive into um, <laughs> sitcoms of the 70s and 80s that we grew up around and loved, really. Probably listening to repeats a lot of the time. I don't know about you. Yeah, definitely. I think um, a lot of the time, the things that I'm drawn towards in terms of um, comedies that I enjoy are all things that I first experienced as a, as a youngster, I think, um, that I've taken through into, into adulthood. Um, and I think that's what most people do, don't they? You sort of get your humour from, from things that you discover when you're, when you're little. Yeah, I think so. Certainly in my case. And it, it's quite sad, really, because in our house, we've, we all kind of live in different houses and watch different things. I loved growing up watching the telly with my parents and enjoying shows with my folks. Absolutely. That, I don't think that's a thing that happens anymore. I know with my kids, um, we, we all, yeah, we, we sort of exist in different rooms um, with different shows and different interests. Whereas when you were younger, you, 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 you were sat with your parents, weren't you? And siblings and all enjoying the same thing with the same kind of sense of humour. If, if none of you enjoyed it, you watched something else. And, and of course, it wasn't on demand. So we'd all like, oh, it's 8.30, Red Dwarf's on or something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But... Um, yeah, but never, nevertheless, never mind all our yesteryears and bemoaning, <laughs> bemoaning <laughs> modern, modern society and the f- familial crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, um, really, what we're envisaging for this show, if indeed anybody ever listens to it, <laughs> is that um, it's an accompaniment to one of your favourite sitcoms. So we'll pick a sitcom and we'll listen to listen to every single episode of that sitcom and we'll do a, a deep dive into every one of those episodes so the idea is that you can um, go back and watch every episode of a series and after every episode if you wish you can listen to the accompanying podcast episode to see what we make of it and we'll pull it apart and have fun with it and talk about it absolutely so we're gonna get with with the, the shows that we choose we're gonna start right at the beginning um and just take ourselves through however long it takes through through the series that are, that are available to watch, um, and then just have a good old chat about them. Pretty much. And I think mm. um, we're going to start, we'll talk about the fact that we've picked The Good Life to start with, which I'm really excited about. Me too. Um, but I think one of the things um, with The Good Life for me, you, you know, people, if people choose to sort of watch along and listen along with us, they can do what you did and buy the, buy the DVDs off eBay. Mm. And how much did you pay? I think it was about 16 quid. 16 quid? Yeah. Bankrupt you. Or you can do what <laughs> I did as a total minge bag and listen to them on Daily Motion for free. Watch, <laughs> them, I should, watch them, I should say, on Daily Motion. They're um, available to stream on Daily Motion. And if you get the app on your phone, you can stream them, cast 
custom to your television, which is what I've been doing, and I haven't had to put my hand in my pocket once. Excellent. <laughs> it is. I've got a feeling that um, in the UK we've got um, BritBox, which is a new streaming service. I've got a feeling they might be on there. That's the thing. That's the way it's going to work. And we'd love you to join us and listen along, uh, watch along and then listen along to us pull it apart and have some fun mm. with it. We should probably mention, I think, Al, that we're starting this podcast during the global pandemic crisis of early 2020. Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's, it's a good time. It, it sounds awful sort of saying that it's a good time to do it because it's horrific what's going on. Um, and it's, it's a global thing. It's happening everywhere. Um, no one's escaped it, but for us, it's a, it's a good time to do this because there's nothing else going on, <laughs> and and we're both at home able to do this. So yeah, and I think like technology allows us to do this twelve thousand miles apart and yeah. 11, eleven hours apart, which is yeah, which is cool. Um, but I, I think also the fact that we are doing it during the COVID nineteen thing means that we uh, probably don't have the best gear. So if this doesn't sound very good, bear with us. We might get better over time, yeah. and we managed to order some decent podcast recording equipment yeah we're currently on tins and string exactly (laughs) we're recording it over carrier pigeon (laughs) um so so should we have a talk about the good life absolutely let's do that When I first had the idea to do this podcast and messaged you, I suggested we start with a good life. And can you remember what you said? I can't remember what I said. What did I say? Well, I wrote it down verbatim because I thought it was such a good response. You, what you said was um, that the goods ideals around self-sufficiency are really interesting and what millennials probably see is a modern approach and that the goods are sort of okay boomers from a different time but with a, with a very modern, bigger picture foresight into where the world's taken us with consumerism now. Oh, did I say that? That's amazing. And that's, yeah, I do feel like that. Um, I think the fact that the goods in the 70s, because the series was, um, it was on TV sort of from 75 to 78. So it was very much of a time. And Mm. I'm, I'm sort of guessing that at the time people watching it saw the goods as sort of like hippies that, um, sort of had taken themselves out of society and were, were trying to live this um, quite humble, self-sufficient life that other people would have just ridiculed as, which is what happened. Neighbours, The neighbours that, that they had were, were quite ridiculing of their sort of choices and, and the way that they were, were going to live their life. But something that now in the present day, sort of looking back, it's quite um, quite an advanced way of sort of looking at things and and... and their approach to life. Um, I think that's really interesting that it's like 45 years on and um, it's almost like full circle. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of people now, in the, particularly in the current situation where globalism's kind of collapsing, mm. are, um, well, to, to some extent, like I say, we're talking to each other from different polar sides of the world, but, yeah. um, you know, oil oil's crashing and all these other <laughs> things. People are, are like interested in the, in the idea of being able to live sustainably. And yeah. grow their own veg and perhaps not that the goods really did it properly and we'll get into that as we look into every episode they were yeah. spun, sponging off the Leadbetters quite a bit <laughs> um, but yeah I think it's a good one to start with because it's got relevance today 
you know, some mm. of the other themes as well. But more than anything else, it's good lockdown TV. If you're if you're at home and you're and you're stuck and you're stressed, it's like having an old friend, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think because I, I was I was born in the the very late seventies, so obviously missed it all first time round. Um, I've sort of seen it all through repeats and Christmas specials, um, and there was just something cosy, like a cosy blanket, mm. is how I would describe the good life. Um, and the fact that TV shows that I that I like, I like everything tied up in a neat bow at the end of the episode. I like the sort of the the arcing story that you sort of get throughout series, but. Each episode is like standalone, and it's all tied up, and everyone's laughing at the end, and it's all all right. I thought and one of your favourite me... TV—I thought one of your favourite TV shows was Lost, <sighs> which doesn't do any of that, does it? It doesn't. That's the most scratchy of blankets that exists. Sorry to pick holes in your theory oh, there, but I know exactly what you mean. It's great to have it self-contained. I had to stop watching Twenty Four because it was making me anxious and I couldn't cope with the fact that there was too much going on all the time and it never it never sort of concluded and the same things seem to be happening over and over again but with something like The Good Life it's um, yeah it's all it's all nice bloody nice I guess as well apart from the nostalgia of the 70s and 80s sitcoms we grew up with there's a secondary source of amusement other than the intended comedic elements in that some of the dated attitudes or clothes or speech mm. patterns make it you know funny in a non-deliberate way to look at absolutely years later i am i think i'm, I'm slightly not worried but um i have got concern about re-watching them in such detail um and having these things sort of brought up for me to sort of analyze and look at and things like um that were of a time in the 70s like sexism and classism and um, racism that uh, were part of 70s humour. They were of a time in that decade and sort of revisiting it now. I'm just sort of, I'm wondering how that will make me feel as I'm watching it. I think it, we've got to keep perspective anyway, because it's not like Jim mm -hmm. David, we're not looking at Jim Davidson's routines from the 70s. It's no, just, thank God. Some of these things will be dated just because hashtag mm -hmm. different time. Absolutely. You know, and that's we'll what it is, yeah. Every time we come across something like that, we'll just say hashtag different time and maybe yeah. not, not be too harsh on the writers. Or yeah, the, I think it's probably absolutely. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. Talking of the writers, um, mm. I don't know if, when you, in your research whether you sort of looked into what else the the two writers, John Esmond and Bob Larby, did. Yes, things Sit that I like. Royalty, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Um, one of my favourite theme tunes of all time. Um, is the theme to Brushstrokes, <laughs> which is um, that was also one of my favourite favourite TV shows again as a kid um, that I did watch first time round. So you saying Brushstrokes in your accent just reminds me of Philomena Kunk. <laughs> and I think now I'm going to have yeah she's from round the corner. I'm going to have to drop the entire um, um, Dexys Midnight Runners, wasn't it? I'm going to have yes, to drop the entire theme tune into this episode now. Yes, please. That's what Philomena Kung did every time she mentioned Brooks Brushstrokes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, I do, yeah. I did like Brushstrokes. All thanks to you These things I do 
because of you because of you and what else did they do they did um please sir ever decrease in circles yeah on the up yes well, I think that was, was, that only... a McGann, was that a McGann? Was that a McGann brother on the up? Or is that or is it Dennis Waterman? Dennis Waterman, he wrote the theme tune, sang the theme tune. Oh, he did. What am I thinking of then with the McGann? Oh, no, you're right. McGann was, was like the help, wasn't he? With, with, was he? This is Wembley. And um, Joan, Joan Sim was Mrs. Wembley. Yes. Yes. I mean, it was, a, it was a little bit one note. I doubt it was, you know, that was Bob Larby on his own. Whereas as a team, right. they, wrote, they wrote, please, sir. Uh, Ever decreasing circles, which I was I was a big fan of ever decreasing mm-hmm. circles. Um, and there's actually similarities between Martin and ever decreasing circles and Tom Good, I think. Yeah. Played by the same guy, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Richard Pryor's. Mm. Because um, in ever decreasing circles, he's constantly in conflict with his neighbour. Yes. Um, albeit it's not really as good natured as it is in in the Good Life. It's more. Mm. Uh, but they're similar characters as well, I think. Um, like Martin is just an, an extreme version of Tom. Yeah. Um, without mm. s- sustainability. Yeah. Um, element. The relationship between the neighbours on the Good Life. Um, you were you were all like Margot, for example, was was like there as a like comic relief almost. That you, you were supposed to sort of laugh at her, weren't you? And not really sort of agree with the things that she came out with and the beliefs that she held. Um, mm. But. The fact that the Goods and the Ledbetters could still remain friends was something that really struck me, that they were so different and came at things from different angles and different sides, but were always mates, they were always friends, and I think that was quite charming, quite a charming sort of element of it. And that's quite apt today, isn't it, in the way that you know mm. we've got very polarised views and people yeah. scrub on social media. I'm, I'm terrible for it, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the left versus right and the sort of... The, the stigmatization that happen, happens and mm. name call it, you know these 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 two couples couldn't be more different. And yeah, Margot's in some ways she's an appalling person in some ways. Yeah, but nevertheless she's got a heart of gold and she's sort of. Mm. I think the reason you relate to her is she, she she's vulnerable. And, yeah, and we will get into talking about the characters a little bit. But mm. one one of the other things I wanted to say about about Good Life was that. I hadn't realised that it aired in the US as Good Neighbours. Yes, the different name. Yeah, because they had a, they had a show that was on prior to 1974, I think, called The Good Life, and they didn't want to create confusion. Ah, oh, right. Makes me wonder how the, that sort of class-based humour translated over I the wonder, Atlantic. Yeah. You wouldn't really see it working, would you? No, because I think it's quite a, a British, a very British sort of series, weren't it? It was very um, of a time and of a place as well. Um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder what they, they thought about it. They have that. They have that YouTube channel, don't they, where they have all these Yanks looking at British comedies for the first time, trying to work out okay. what's going on. They have like Americans sitting there watching Father Ted, going, "Oh my god!" It's like a like a reaction. Yeah, it, yeah. I just don't get it. But my favourite no. one is, is them trying to work out shooting stars with Vic and Bob. Oh, right, okay. Because I mean, it's pretty much went like like when Larry Hagman went on that show, he didn't have a clue. What was just going didn't on. have a clue what was going on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the Good Life made it here to New Zealand because I've talked to some mm. friends and they're like, oh yeah, I love that show. Really? So, I mean, I presume it was probably it probably went everywhere. There's probably like 
La Bonne Vie. Yes, a bit there is, yeah. Das Guten Leben. <laughs> it's probably made it all sorts of places that we aren't even aware of. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe there's a podcast that exists in, in German or French. Das Guten Leben. <laughs> yeah. A retrospective. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. So, so as we said before, the conflict um, from which the comedy arises in this show is pretty much almost always about how the goods' lives and decisions impact on the next door Ledbetters, who are largely kind of disapproving of of the choices that the goods goods have made. Mm. Most comedy dramas or situation comedies, there has to be a conflict. And then it's how that conflict's resolved, I guess. I think some of the other interesting principles that are covered is um, the idea of doing without and, and making sacrifices mm. for your principles. Because Barbara I, sometimes struggles with that, doesn't she? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you one thing I found quite interesting that um, his, his job before he, before he quits the rat race is um, he's a draftsman making the, the little plastic toys that go in cereal packets, which is like, the crappiest of all plastic crappy things, isn't it? That, like, like McDonald's toys, for example, mm. or any other um, toy that you get from a fast food restaurant. Um, but that they are seen today as being sort of um, unnecessary and wasteful and single use. Um, so, f- again, for him to leave that that job in particular, I thought that, that was. It was quite interesting when I was thinking about it that, that he decided to sort of change his life altogether, move into being self-sufficient and and left that particular job. I thought that was quite interesting. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. So let's have a look at, at the four characters, the four main characters who comprise this sitcom. So we've got Richard Bryars, of course, or Dickie Bryars, as I believe he was known to his friends. You don't think of him as a Dickie, do you? No, not at all, no. Most definitely a Richard. But he's a dicky, apparently. And oh. just like Penelope Keefe is a penny. Oh, yeah. I can see her being a penny. Do you think Felicity Kendall's a flick? I bet she is a flick. Is she? Yeah. Fliss. Fliss. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But Richard Bryce, it was essentially a vehicle, wasn't it, for Richard Bryce? Mm. It was conceived yeah. as a vehicle. And he was the, you know, the main character. He gets central billing on the credits with a wonderful mm-hmm. theme tune. The not so wonderful animation that doesn't stand the test of time. Oh, um, I love that bird. What makes me laugh about the animation is the circle, how non circular the circle is. <laughs> the circle is, yeah. Yeah. But but Richard Bryars, mm. he's given central billing, but of course the writers are clever enough as it goes on to realise that it's more of a. Um, well, it's not an ensemble because there's only four of them, but it's definitely about all four characters. It's not. Absolutely. All Tom and Barbara and, and Margot and Jerry. They're all an equal part in in, mm. in the situation, aren't they, I think? Yeah, definitely. Do you have strong feelings about Tom? Um, you know what I do. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. I think that the, the character of Tom is definitely of a, of a time. Because um, one, of, one of my fears, um, I think, like I said earlier, was that the way that he sort of um, railroads his own beliefs from this midlife crisis that he has, that sort of is the catalyst of, of this change of life. Um, I worry about Barbara. I worry I worry that he sort of just takes over and um, 
is in charge and what he says goes. Um, well, I think famously that's what Richard Bryars. Yeah. He didn't like about the character. He viewed him as a bully and a bully, very mm. much railroads Barbara into into living that life. Yes. I'm not entirely sure that's accurate. I think that if you look at the first episode, as we will next week, she's she's given the option and she considers it carefully and goes along with it. Yeah. You know. And. Um, and it is a jacket. It, it ends up like a part. It's a very strong partnership in the way that they lived a life in the end, and and she's very much on board with it. And I think he's someone. I think he's someone that you warm to as as you go along. Perhaps. He's definitely rede- he's definitely redeemable. I think where yes. Richard, Richard where Dicky has got it right is that they're very much sponge off the lead betters. They're not sustainable at all. They're constantly they're constantly nipping next door for a handout of one shape or another, whether it's a lift to the shops or you know. Uh, there's an episode I um, remember quite vividly where Tom manipulates Margot to buy a spinning wheel for some, just for his own, <laughs> just for his own purposes, and that's the kind of thing that yeah. I don't like about Tom. Uh, but I, I guess also the secondary thing I dislike about Tom is just how just how f-ing annoying he is. He's just an annoying. F-ing the whistling f-ing. into it, and all the I whistling just, you don't like. I should. I, I just realised we should have had a conversation about whether I get to say the word on this. this <laughs> Said it now. It's out there. I said. I said. Yeah, I think we might. Shall I bleep that? I think we'll bleep it. Are we? Are we bleeping? Bleeping I swearing? I don't, I don't know. I think maybe it's strong. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. Yeah, there's certain. Yeah. Tom is not my favourite um, guy because no. he, because he. Yeah, he's he's bossy, he's self-centred, narcissistic. He whistles all the bleeding time. Yeah, he's a, a noisemaker. He's a noisemaker, yeah. Everything he does, he's letting you know that he's doing it. He's like that type of middle-aged man who just yes. has to let you know everything they're doing and yeah. the chore to him. And he's, he's kind of bonhomie, gets really yeah really trying after a while. Mm. But I th- let, let's stop slagging off Tom and yeah. Barbara. Yeah, Barbara's the antithesis for me. She's lovely. I think I, I felt I used to feel sorry for Barbara because I felt like she'd been as, as a kid thought, oh, she's had everything taken, this this life taken away from her, and now she's living this really sort of sad existence. But I, I, I don't know. I think as a character, I think she was quite happy. I think she was quite happy to go along with it and be part of this new lifestyle. Yeah, she gets well into it, really. I don't necessarily yeah. think... She's manipulated in, in little micro-situations, but mm. largely her, 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 their, the good's life choice is, is mutual. Yes. And they, and, they, and they embrace it fully, don't they? Yeah. Um, and she never really... Like, like when there's any, any kind of sort of questioning from the Ledbetters about, oh, are you sure, Barbara? Are you, are you happy? Are you okay? Living this kind of life, and it and it always it always is that she's that she is that she's um, she's part of this team. She's on board, and they're obviously doing this together. And it's it's something that makes them both both happy. I think. I think you get individual episodes where there's tension, like the the um, the last frock, or no, the last posh frock. Yes. Where yes. she clearly misses being um, treated as a woman. And mm. I mean that's an awful episode for Tom's character. That's yes. proper. There's proper cringe in. He doesn't come out of that well. Well, he's still redeemable. He still turns it round, but mm. he's just such an ass throughout the entire episode. <laughs> um, 
you notice I've toned it down now from the C word to ass. Ass, yeah. He's <laughs> an ass, and I think despite his um, sort of bombastic attitude, he does do the right thing in the end for Barbara. Yeah, and she's very sweet. I think Felicity Kendall as a just a just a very sweet um, non-aging lady. She is, yeah. She still looks. She still looks pretty good now. Still looks she? amazing, and um, just I think perfect for that role. Just a really lovely, sweet person. It's ironically, you mentioned Vivian from the Young Ones earlier. Do you yeah. remember that clip in the Young Young Ones where Vivian tore the good life to shreds? Yes, when it comes flying out of the um, opening credits. Yeah, and, and then Felicity and Treacle Kendall. Well, you can just shut up, Vivian. You can just about blamming well shut up. Because if you've got anything horrid to say about Felicity Kendall, <laughs> you can just about blubbing well say it to me first, all right? I don't, I'm, I don't particularly enjoy Ricky Gervais's work because it's all cringe. I can see oh, it's, right, okay. it's clever, but it's just mm. constant cringe. Yeah. Um, if a show's got too much cringe, it'll ruin it for me. And these shows in the seventies and eighties, they didn't trade in cringe. No, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't like a theme sort of around that time, was it? What's your worst? Um, from screen, either TV or movie, what's your worst cringe bit? The bit that, you, even in a show or a movie that you love, if it comes on, yeah. you go, oh, oh, God, I can't stand this bit. I can't. Um, the thing that makes me cringe the most, and I can't watch, <laughs> I can't watch it ever, um, is um, Ace Ventura or The Mask. And it's, it's that face that um, Jim Carrey does. Um, just his face. Just his face. Yeah, I can't. It, it just makes me very uncomfortable. I think for me, it's probably. I don't know if this is the worst. In Friends, when when mm -hmm. um, Rachel has to go to her ex fiance's wedding and she ends yes. up inexplicably singing Copacabana. Yeah. What? What are you doing? Why are you doing yeah. that? Yeah. It's fucking ludicrous. <laughs> And it just makes me feel horrible inside. And I think and, and from a movie perspective, you'll have seen the original Superman film. Yeah. I know we're going off topic a bit now, but just... <laughs> um, in the original Superman film, the, the whole scene where Lois goes off flying with with Superman for the first time. Yes. And all that music's playing. And music, she's going, yeah. Read my mind. And she's mm. doing all this bad writing. Oh, it's in the background, isn't it? It's like in her head. Yeah, it's a not, Oh, yes, I know what you mean. And she's going, you can fly, <laughs> belong in the sky. <laughs> it's so hard, even just thinking about yeah. it now. I just want to take... It's making you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. The yeah. only rede redeeming point of that scene in Superman is where Superman clearly thinks, I've had enough of this silly cow, and drops her like a stone. Drops her, yep. It's a proper he can hear her. He can hear that a, a stupid thing's going on in her head. He's proper proper dick move from Superman, though, isn't it? He's flying around mm. and he just thinks, oh, I <laughs> swoops in and saves her at the last, and he's like, "Yeah, don't forget, I'm Superman." Yeah, I could drop you any moment. And by the way, I can see your pink knickers. <laughs> that's weird. yeah, that's just weird as well. <laughs> Should we have a look at Penelope Keith, who for, for yes. me is the real yes. star of the show? She was she was my my fave, and it was it was the clothes, it was the voice, um, it was just everything about Margot. I just thought she was wonderful. I, I thought there was something really nice about learning that Penelope Keith um, picked her own 
clothes for that show. Is she that went right? shopping at Harrods. Yeah, oh, she went I love that. And found her own dresses and stuff. They gave her the budget and said, off you go, Penelope, Penny. It's kind of her stock and trade, I think, Penelope Keith, because obviously after this she went on to be, is it Audrey? In, yeah, Audrey in The Man of Born. The Man of Born, The Man of Born, yeah. Very similar character. Very similar character, yeah. But she's just so good at it. It was, um, I think it was the, the, one of the Christmas episodes um, when she when she orders, I think, I think she she orders Christmas from Harrods or somewhere equally as um, sort of exquisite and it doesn't turn up, Christmas doesn't turn up from this department store and that's why they end up having Christmas with the goods. Um, but I had this, uh, when I had my, own, my, my first own house, um, this lingering sort of niggling thing that I wanted to have something for Christmas from Harrods like Margot did um, and I was desperate just even if it was just like a Christmas decoration or something or Christmas biscuits I wanted to feel sort of that Margot thing of having uh, something special at, at Christmas time from some ridiculously expensive department store. Did you get yourself one of those cig- long cigarette holders? <laughs> no I didn't. The Margot favours. I think I got um, a musical biscuit tin that plays um, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Margot um, wouldn't have approved of that. That would be far too common. It was from, I think it was Fortnum and Mason that I got it from in the end in a bid to, to, to replicate Margot's expensive Get Christmas. You. Yeah, I know. And the Christmas decoration I think I got as well. Yeah. Did, did you invite Mrs. Mountshaft and Mrs. <laughs> from the Pony Club? Yeah. <laughs> But she's definitely our favourite, I think, both yes. of us. Yes, oh, she's yes. She's the, only, she's the only Tory I've ever liked. Mm. Margot Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, alongside Margot, we've got Paul Eddington playing mm. um, Jerry. Yes. Who's, who's like the unsung hero of the show for me. Absolutely. He's um, slightly henpecked, um, but can be quite sort of like masterful as well. In, well, he, in, can give as, if, he can give as good as he gets when he yeah. can but he just wants an easy life, doesn't he? I think he does. He just plays the, the part. Un, he's understated and he plays the part masterfully. Um, yeah, he knows He knows her. He can play her. He sort of... Um, he, he can sort of manipulate the situation knowing what Margot's like. And to me, that I don't know. They're, they're quite well suited. Did spoil another couple, as my mum would say. Did what, sorry? Did spoil another couple. What do you mean by that? Because if they were if they were with other people, you'd, you'd be spoiling another couple. They're, they're supposed to be together because well, they they work well together. Interestingly, Peter Bowles was supposed to originally be playing Jerry. Oh, um, but from, he wasn't available. Oh right, okay. But he was in, yeah, he was yeah. in to the Man of Arms, wasn't he? Well, he he said that he was glad that he was unavailable because he'd never been able to play um, the part in the into the Man of Arms because it would have okay. just been Margot and Jerry, wouldn't it? Yeah, of course. I can see him playing it though as well. Not as well as Eddington. But then it's like it's when you learn that when you learn that um what's his name? Jim Broadbent was gonna play Del Boy, you think no. Oh right. heck. Yeah. But actually he's such a good actor, he probably would have made it his own. It's just that we know that David Jason's Del Yes. Boy. Yeah. You know? And you get attached to that person being a character, don't you? Well, exactly. And I think, you know, Peter Bowles would have been good, but Eddington is Jerry. In his, Absolutely. Um, his Burberry pants. I'm one of the things I am looking forward to as we do the deep delve is um, 
the, the fashion, the clothes of, of the time, especially Margot and Jerry. Um, I spotted one of Margot's um, dresses online when I was I was reading through something before, um, and I'd wear, I'd wear it now. It's just amazing, amazing looking. You didn't spot it online to buy, did you? I'm not going to come and I visit didn't. you and find no. you No, of... <laughs> turn up at the door in a moo-moo <laughs> with a headscarf. That'd be awesome. It would. And I really like um, Jerry's Burberry keks because yes. that was in the day, wasn't it, when they when they were like sartorial elegance rather than football firm hooligan clothes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine that Jerry was like spending the weekends down at Chelsea in the naughty no. 40s, opening people <laughs> up with... I don't know if they are called the naughty 40s. A lot of football firms have always got stupid names, haven't they? I don't like really Soul, know much about football firms. Soul Crew and Naughty Forties and all that. But I can't I imagine he was... No, I don't see that. That's not Jerry's scene, is it? I don't Jerry, think it is. Jerry likes to relax at home. He likes a little bit, bit of peace and quiet. He's got a weird, open love of soft pornography. Yes. He likes to, he likes to open a dirty book, I think he says, in a couple of episodes. Yes, yeah. He sits in his living room looking at soft porn. He's, he's, yeah, he's got that little bit of a, a cheeky side to him. Especially after a bit of pea pod wine and round at the gods. Pea pod burgundy wine. Yeah. Yeah. That's um. Yeah. I think he's 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 just. I think he's a very genuine, a genuine character. And he's got that laugh, of course, which is kind of his catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a wonderful. I mean, it's not really a catchphrase show. Um, good life, but you've got, I guess, Tom's whistle. Jerry's laugh, yes. just little laugh yep. things. Margot's kind of got a couple, hasn't she? She Can has, you do an yes. Margot? Um, it's the well. Thank you very much, Jerry. That one, that's my <laughs> favourite one. Yes, thank that is you my favourite. Very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. I, don't, I think she might have a couple of others, but we'll get into them in the episodes that we we look at. I think we should probably wrap this up because we've definitely been going over half an hour. Okay. Um, I just wanted to um, draw your attention, in case you didn't realise, to it, that this apparently was the Queen's favourite sitcom. And so it should be, yeah. That's, 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 um, I wonder what they talked about when they were watching it, though. Her and Phil. Yeah. Oh, Philip, bang the good life on. (laughs) I do love the commoners. I wonder, yeah, I wonder what they thought. Do you think, um, do you think that, because, uh, well, the reason we know it's her favourite sitcom is the very last episode of The Good Life wasn't supposed to happen, but there was a something like a Royal Variety performance. Yes. And she'd requested The Good Life be a sketch or, a, or an episode. Right, OK. So it was filmed in front of her. And she's actually credited on IMDb, her and Phil, her and Big Phil, as um, part of the crew, weirdly. <laughs> best boy. Yeah, best boy. She was the king. Gaffer. <laughs> Yeah, that was her favourite show, and I just I find that odd. Well, we don't yeah. know if it's still her favourite show because nearly fifty years have passed, forty years have passed. So now she might be more into the in betweeners or something. Maybe. What if she's What if she's watching along with us? What What if What if she's um, partaking in the podcast? It'd be great if she was. Oh, yeah. I'd love to comment. If we get successful with this, we could get some merch going. I think her, we do. Yeah. Send her a free badge. Yes. 
<laughs> a badge for Madge. <laughs> I think that's a good, as good a place as any to, to wrap up our first episode. Wonderful, yeah. Well, it's I been fab. That. Yes. Do, we, do you remember what the first episode is called? Um. Oh, do you know what? I, it's, it's, I can't think. It, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't. Well, let, let's refer to it as episode one. Fuck this for a game of soldiers. I'm going sustainable. Because that's pretty that's much it. what it is. That's, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Join us for the first episode of, you know, of The Good Life. What is it? Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive. Sado. We're a couple of Sados who are going to look at episode one. Fuck this for a game of soldiers next week. Yay, come and join us. Bye.